0: And Quiet in the Studio, and Plastic Podcast Episode 47, with Extra Surprise at the End, Five, four, three. How are you doing? I'm Doug Devaney and you're listening to The Plastic Podcast's Tales of the Irish Diaspora. Well, October is upon us, friends. The last vestiges of summer fade and winter starts to make itself known. Time for extra layers, warm drinks and the Liverpool Irish Festival, now in its 20th year. Also marking a particular anniversary is Brendan Behan, novelist, playwright, poet and republican, for whom this year marks the centenary of his birth. Already there's been a revival of Mother of All the Beans in Dublin, starring Imelda May, and now Liverpool plays host to Brendan, Son of Dublin, a play with music, or is it a musical play, at the Tong Auditorium at the University of Liverpool on the 28th of the month. Brendan has been written and composed by husband and wife duo John Merrigan and Danielle Morgan, we're going with professional names here, who collectively call themselves Fat Dan. Why? We may well find out later. But first, let's ask Danielle and John, how are you doing?
1: We're all right. Can't grumble. The sun is shining. And no leads from the taxi. No brown ones. I get stressed when the brown ones turn up.
0: <laughs> and John, how are you doing?
2: All right. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we're, um, we've had a great
0: weekend. Another week begins. And um, yeah, busy, busy. So at the time of recording, although not at the time of broadcast, you're how long away from the Liverpool Irish Festival? Our date uh, for the performance is on the 28th
2: of October. So we are 26 days away and counting.
0: And how are rehearsals going?
2: Going well. So uh, what we'll be, uh, we'll be doing, it's a combination of uh, over Zoom and also then the, the, the sort of face-to-face rehearsals but we've also been fortunate that we've performed um, Brendan, Son of Dublin before, and uh, we've been able to retain most of the cast. So it's it's very fresh, we've got some great new cast in, and uh, we can't wait. So uh, it'll all ramp up now over the next few weeks, and then uh, especially uh, in the week before the show, and uh, can't wait to get everyone together.
0: And how dispersed are your cast then? Well, we have a cast
2: coming in from Ireland, from London, from down on the south coast, graphically um, quite dispersed. Um, but uh, we we, we managed to, to to get everybody to communicate. Um, Casts also communicate directly with each other, especially when they're working on scenes, you know, one-on-one, etc. Um, so it works really well, actually. And I suppose... Uh, what i'd say is that all of this really came to the fore um during covid when we had um another uh, production and we really had to be very creative um getting uh, getting shows uh, up and running and uh, i think everybody just became more used to um working on zoom and working remotely um but there's nothing like uh the 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 moment when everybody's in the room together and everyone's ready and uh, that's what it's all about it's all about personal face-to-face contact between the cast and of course then uh, with the
0: performance uh, with the audience now we enter into the areas of sixty-four thousand-dollar questions which is of course is this a musical or is this a play with music
1: Is i'd say it's a play with music musicals there are some really very very strong musicals that don't have big kick lines and dance numbers and stuff like that but They've been so well-established, and a lot of them have, you know, a lot of music that takes the plot forward and the songs take the plot forward. Our way we're trying to do this is to try and take a different angle because with us, the script is, what John's written, is outstanding. So we've tried to take our writing like a film. So you've got the script and you've got the music that, no, makes you know that something's coming, you know, it could be funny, it could be sad, it could be stressful, it could be a love interest. Um, so the music sort of gives that away, and then followed by um, a song that will make the audience think about the emotion they've just experienced at that part in the script, as opposed to a song informing you and what's going to happen next. So, the music, the way we've come from our angle, is to enforce emotion and we sort of take it like a boxer it's sort of jab jab with script and bang you know with the right hand for a knockout with the emotion of the music just in case they didn't get it the first time around.
2: Sometimes people have to get used to that um, in terms of a format but you know when we, we're writing especially about true characters and historical things and everything else, we want to move beyond just presenting the facts. We want to talk about um, how people felt, uh, what emotions they were um, undergoing at a particular time or a particular set of events or whatever. And we find uh, the music really does that. And if you, if you use the music to kind of stop the action, uh, to let people absorb uh, the action and the emotions, uh, we found that uh, the audiences really enjoy that, um, so that they just have time to really be in the moment, and uh, the music draws them in. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a, a a drama with music.
1: I'm going to tell you a little confession here. John doesn't like what we call musicals. He he's not that type of guy. He loves Les Mis because it's serious, um, but I like the whole kick line thing that i just love that and john's like we need to do musical theater for people that don't like musical theater and i'm like that's a great idea so we have found some new audiences especially when we was doing our world war one projects that some of these people was like i'm not i don't do musical theater I, I just don't do it and i'm like come and see this it might change your mind um so um i'm gently working up you know, uh, maybe project number five or six for four kick lines, Doug. Um, but at this point, this is this is musical theatre for people that don't like musical theatre.
2: I think it's just trying to find another way of 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 telling um, telling the story because, um, you know, when you take a character like Brendan Bean or other work that we've done, their story has been told already before, and uh, what you're always trying to do is to is to tell it in a different way, in an engaging way um, and an interesting way. And uh, I I think this combination of the action, the music and the drama and the emotions, plus we're also looking at Brendan Behan's story, you know, a hundred years after his birth. And uh, I think we're looking at it through um, a different lens. And to be fair, there hasn't been Uh, certainly in the last 10 years or so, there's hardly been any new work um, about his story. And and that's why um, this year, in the centenary year of his birth, but also beyond that, um, you know, we took it as a challenge to try and tell his story in a fresh um, and and interesting way.
0: So what was the appeal of his story in the first place? Brendan Bean is one of these characters...
2: Um, that uh, I think we, we can all relate to. Um, he, uh, my mother knew him uh, growing up in, in, in Dublin, and um, he evoked very mixed uh, opinions, you know, when he was alive. Um, but he was a very important character in terms of uh, literature and in Dublin, and obviously um, me growing up in Dublin and um, he, he, he was never far away in terms of talking about him or people like Oscar Wilde or whatever. When you start to explore um, these characters, you know, Oscar Wilde, Brendan Bean, uh, Sean O'Casey, uh, the list goes on and on, um, you start to discover a thread um, that connects them all. And um, there's so many themes um, that connects them all. and in particular, why did they die so young? Um, you know, Oscar Wilde was 46. Brendan Bean was, um, was 41. And I think uh, that draws you in. And the more you research, um, the more you want to understand and the more you want to explain and find out. Uh, and certainly that was the way in for me. But I think, Danny, you, you, you also had, uh, you know, some interesting uh, ideas about Brendan
1: yeah i mean my family from tipperary um and again brendan was one of those that was mentioned like lots of others um when i was studying um you know drama and stuff i passed him in terms of his works but i didn't get too deep into it um and then when john mentioned it i was like whoa this is going to he like 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 john said he he gets so many um Emotions. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. And the fact that I said that, John's like, that's the emotion we want. The fact that you're like, oh, means other people are like that, and it means that his story needs to be explored a little bit more than just, you know, what the the you know the common person thinks that he's just a playwright that was drunk, um, you know, that did a few plays um, in London. He, he he was so much more than that. Um, and he was he was international and when you ask lots of people when they go into his his writing um and his history um and the amount the youngsters now know about him it's incredible so um the more and more that i got into it um the more and more addicted to his story i became um and um and so we went on to develop brendan um and and yeah it's just an incredible story, and quite a few people have have background of roots like that. But for him, he went on to become something extra special.
0: When you talk about that all moment there, right at the very start, can you like can you can you summarize what that 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 feeling was? Was it like trepidation? Was it was was it excitement? Was it like I'm not sure about this at all? It,
1: look, there rightly or wrongly right there's a history that's gone before um and people make bad judgments they do stupid things they say stupid things um but i don't think a person should be judged i don't think their work should be judged on their personality um so you know getting in get being argumentative you know doing things that are criminal um it's not cool and I'd be a fool to say it was. Um, but I'm not judging him and his mistakes or his life choices. I wasn't there. I'm not judging jury. Um, I'm there to help tell his story and mainly about his writing um and his achievements. So the all was a all. Um, I don't know if we can be this edgy. And Brendan was edgy, you know, he had an edge. Um, he took on the establishment. Um he wanted people to know um, you know, his views and opinions. And I think that's interesting. And I think as long as you do it um, with morals and ethics and you are telling a story without giving an opinion and you portray the facts as we know them, we wasn't there, we can only go by what's in the history books and family and friends that knew him. Um, as long as you can do a fair representation then I think you've got half a chance. So that's what that all
3: means.
0: You're listening to The Plastic Podcasts. We all come from somewhere else. Find us on Facebook, X, Instagram and Threads. It's a funny thing. Every podcast, I utter that phrase as a call to action but the fact that we do all come from somewhere else is remarkably apposite in the case of John and Danielle and their work. Their personal story is an international one, but so are the tales they choose to tell. Both Wilde and Bean found fame away from their home country and in the context of certain kinds of Britishness. I wonder what their thought on this is. I think it's a very interesting aspect of their story, um, this,
2: this sort of... Uh, ambiguous relationship with England and um, that they they created their work um, and um, they, they 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 ebbed and flowed in terms of their relationship with Ireland and in particular and um, Dublin and I think it's very interesting to explore because you know there are diaspora all over uh, uh, Irish diaspora all over the world and they have the same relationship. You know, they 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 have um, all sorts of perspectives on the relationship. They've left the country, um, and but they they have roots there. They're proud. You know, all the different emotions that diaspora uh, kind of uh, experience. And from an artistic point of view, I think both Oscar Wilde and Brendan Bean understood that they had to go to a bigger stage, uh, namely in London um, and beyond, um, for their work. Um, to prosper and uh, to develop. And I think that's a very interesting thing to explore and it's very relevant today.
1: Yeah, it's um, the, my family, you know, came from Tipperary. Some of them are still there. Some of them had to, they had to come to London. Um, they had uh, a massive journey in terms of uh, logistically and, and physically and emotionally. Um, You know, I've grown up with that, I've seen the good and I've seen the bad, I've seen the discrimination, I've seen, you know, the racism, I've seen everything and um, it's quite painful because you, you end up in a space where you neither belong in one place or the other, because if you're in one place, then why did you leave, we wasn't good enough for you, you know, and all of that stereotypical thing. And then if you're in another place, then, well, what, what are you doing here? You know, how did you how did you end up here? So it's it's odd. And our own children, funny enough, um, are expat children because we lived overseas for a very long time. And they also experienced that. They experienced their own culture in terms of the Irish culture, um, in terms of England, in terms of when we lived in the Middle East, because some of them were born there and grew up there. And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a massive question as to why people leave their home country or their birthplace or um or where their family originate from i suppose um and it's quite a deep question and i've got my own sort of demons and answers to that i'm sure john has too so it's um yeah i think there's nothing wrong with wanting more you know if you've outgrown something or you need something or you're you're searching for something there's nothing wrong we have wanting more. It doesn't mean you're turning your back on your culture or your family. It just means you've got one chance at this thing we call life. And as cliche as it is, it's a big world. Go and explore it. It doesn't mean that, you you know, you're better than people. It just means you're just, you're just inquisitive. You want to find a bit more. And I think this is what, you know, all these great people that left Ireland to explore and made their fame, wherever that may be, they too was experiencing those emotions. I guess. I don't know, but I'm guessing.
0: Well, this brings us neatly-ish onto questions of background, I suppose. So, um, Danny, as we were talking, your, your family came from Tipperary?
1: Yeah, my grandparents came from Tipperary and my mum was born um, in Liverpool. Um, my grandmother was uh, not married and fell pregnant out of wedlock. So the same story as millions of others ended up making their way on that. On the boat across to Liverpool, and then from there they made their way, um, and then eventually, you know, my mum reached an age where she met somebody. He happened to be English because obviously it was in England at that time. Um, there wasn't many international people at that time, um, and they lived in a place where really nobody else really wanted to live. Um, and then they made that, that, you know, they made their way, and my dad was English. He was from the East End of London. Um, and as they say, the rest is history. So that's how I became this person, smack bang in the middle of two cultures in a changing world.
2: And John. I grew up in Dublin, born bread and buttered in Dublin and uh, grew up in the mid-sixties. And really uh when I um finished my education, uh I went into a career in business and I left Ireland. Um because of uh, you know the economic situation. I, I, I graduated in 1987. So many years um, in, in business, in a career, but also in, a, in uh, working on music uh, abroad in the Middle East um, and in the UK and other countries. And, uh, but always was drawn and wanted to stay connected with Ireland. Um, and I, I've, I've really worked hard at that. Um, but deep, deep down, Um, Because I grew up in a a family where music and uh, theatre and poetry and writing was really part of the everyday uh, conversation, I I never sort of lost touch with with, with creativity and arts. And uh, when I gave up um, a a career in business and moved into, um, you know, writing and music, uh, I've never been happier and I've never... Uh, been uh, uh, more energised uh, to, to explore, you know, the, the, the themes that we do and finding, you know, really interesting figures like Oscar Wilde, like uh, Brendan bean and others that we're
0: working on. I'm going to sound like Simon Bates in a second. So, how did you meet? <laughs> 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 da, 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 da. I actually...
1: I actually auditioned for John's band. I was in a band um, and I saw an ad. Somebody said to me, you know, there's another band looking for a singer. Are you interested? And I got hold of John's telephone number. i gave give him a ring, spoke to him. Um, and he said, look, come down to rehearsals, rehearsal. The job had, had, um, had already gone to another young man, um, but somebody else had sort of employed him and I was on going to this audition, so they said, "Look, it's only polite to see her and let her come down and sing. Maybe the, you know, the two of them could work together." Um, and I came down, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I passed the audition.
2: Well, I'm very glad you, I'm I'm very
0: <laughs> glad you passed the audition too. <laughs> That's definitely a euphemism, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't be using words you can't spell.
0: Uh, (laughs) if i if i did that i'd never be talking um so uh okay first things first name a band
1: so the band was called suburban voodoo um and it was created by john and it was in dubai um and we used to rehearse um in the early days in a little factory that supplied all the sort of um corner shops you know like cans of coke and bounty bars and twixes and stuff Um, And we used to, the fella used to have egg boxes on the walls to stop the sound. Um, And then eventually, as the band got bigger, you know, we just said, look, we need a bigger space. And then we found, uh, you know, a more suitable music studio to rehearse in in Dubai, in the Sandpit, we call it. And um, we used to have a shawarma on the way home for rehearsals. Pretty cool place, actually.
0: So how did the pair of you individually end up in Dubai?
1: so i went over there i went over there i wanted to travel i my dad wasn't very very well and um i needed some time so i would travel to children i had a job over there Um, and then in my spare time um I, i got back into music um and i thought it was a great release so once I joined John's band, it was pretty full on, actually, in terms of the rehearsal schedules and the gigs that were booked. They used to do a lot of corporate gigs um, for expats. So they'd do things like the Race to Dubai and, you know, all the, all the big things, the sevens that people would fly from England and Ireland over to. So that was pretty cool. And then one day, um, John said to me, I bet you right, because I was messing around on the keyboard, because I only ever sung. I, I didn't play keys, but we had a pianist. And one day in the studio, I was just messing around on the keyboard and he went, didn't know you could play. And I was like, I can't, because I didn't want to volunteer myself to play keys. Um, and he's like, I bet you write, show me something you've written. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then it just progressed like that. And he said, like, go and show me something. And then one day I showed him and he's like, that's pretty cool. You know, you know, I've written a few things too. And, and then John and I started writing together. We became sort of writing partners um, and we just developed um, the music. And then we reached a point where doing covers wasn't enough anymore. Um, it, it it just wasn't enough. So we wanted to write, and we only had a few songs. So then we just wrote more and more and more till we got a lot of songs. And then we took the same most the same band, and then we went across to original music. Um, that's sort of pretty. It John, would you anything to add to that?
2: I think just a whole combination of circumstances. It just allowed us to, um, to um, you know, get into the music. And that trigger of starting writing our own material um, it really was the thing that sort of pushed us forward. And then at some point um, we realized that that wasn't going to work um, in Dubai um, for, for a whole number of reasons. Um, and we decided to leave Dubai, move back, um, to uh, the UK on the south coast here uh, in the UK, and really concentrate full time uh, on music and uh, and all things connected to music, and and so that since then that decision, that's what we do. You know, we 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 have the two main strands of our work. One is our our normal music. And, uh, which we write and compose over four hundred songs we've written together, mainly uh, by Danny. um and then uh, on the other side, it, it was this wonderful opportunity we got to go into theater. And you know, we enjoy both of the strands. and um you know, creatively, it's it's fantastic, and we're we're very, very lucky.
0: We'll be back with John and Danielle in a moment. But first it's time for the Plastic Pedestal, that part of the podcast where I ask one of my interviewees to talk about a member of the diaspora of personal, cultural or political significance to them. Today it's artist Emma O'Rourke with a particularly touching tribute. Given the rest of Emma's interview was initially broadcast on July the 27th, the poignancy will soon become clear. By the way, this is a rather unusual plastic pedestal in as much as it includes an interjection from yours truly and SNL stands for Saturday Night Live. Over to you Emma.
4: I've chosen Sinead O'Connor as you know who arguably is not on a plastic pedestal because she was born in Ireland but she did move over to England so I've decided to choose her and also no one's chosen her and i I was really shocked by that, so I really wanted her to feature. So she came over to England in she was same year as my dad, I think it was eighty-five. Um, she came to London. She was a little bit younger than him, I think. Um I've chosen her, I so I watched her so I read her book over Christmas, Rememberings, and I watched a documentary by Katherine Ferguson. Have you seen it? No, nothing compares to you, which which I thought was brilliant. It's really, really well done. And as a woman, I think I think she was greatly ahead of her time. I think she was incredibly admirable from the perspective of being a mother in that she she had kids across her whole career, which is not an easy thing to do. She just did it. and especially in the arts, I think that's really like impressive that she just managed to do all of that alongside. And ultimately she really, she really spoke out for people that couldn't speak i think that was her biggest thing and she she had no she wasn't interested in commercial success as a pop star she used her platform to get across um important issues that she yeah that she felt weren't being talked about and she did that at the she did that ahead of her own commercial success she was you know she, she didn't um she didn't sell out I guess essentially she really you know she really reacted to the situation as she honestly would have not from the perspective of you know I'm a pop star I should be seen a certain way or I should be doing a certain thing and I think that was really admirable but yeah as a a woman I just I find her really inspiring I have a great amount of respect for her and really from reading her book as well so much honesty and a real emphasis on her family and the dynamics there. And I think that was probably really what spoke to me. And there was a few bits that she wrote, especially about religion and her upbringing that I really related to in a way I couldn't even explain why I related to it or what, which bit. There was something, it was again, like I spoke before about memory, it was like a feeling and it felt like something reading. And I think, oh, I, I remember something, but I remember that and I remember how the way she talked about it and her family has very much shaped her whole life and continues to Um, and I think that it almost the that was almost a head for her of a lot of people I think assume a lot of her music is like a love story or you know as you do with pop music it's very much like that traditional kind of love aspect where actually a lot of her songs were for members of her family, especially like if you look at something like Troy, um, which I don't think she performs anymore, but that was, she was singing to her mother, and I think that's obviously really hard for her to do now, but they got to a certain point where she didn't want to do that anymore, but you, you don't find many songs like that in that industry, so directed in that way, as I said, to a family member, and... Yes, yeah, she really champions just family. I think that we would not seen before, and not and not in a not in the sense of like, this is my perfect two point four family in a very broad and honest way that I think a lot of people can relate to. It's never it's they are your family, and you your experience you you take all the good and all the bad. You take all of it, and it, it you know it shapes you, and it's not something. It's not something that um has really been explored, I think. I've not seen it done before in that way.
0: There she was at the height of her, her fame, as it were. I mean, Nothing Compares to You had been an international hit. She's invited over, over onto SNL, and she takes the opportunity then to almost, knowing doubtless that she did, self-sabotage, th- that she would sabotage that part of her career. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, she, she said that. She, you read about it in the book, and she talked about how she went backstage and it was empty, and all the doors were shut and no one spoke to her and her and her friend left out the back and they were egged and it was such a it was so interesting actually thinking of it in terms of like today and social media and it reminded me of that thing where somebody can be so you can appear to be sort of at the height of success and everywhere and everyone's listening to you and everyone's talking about you but the reality is for a lot of People in that situation, I'm sure, is that they're just in a hotel room on their own. And, yeah, when she left, when she left the stage, everybody had gone and nobody would speak to her. So, she, yeah, she did. She put herself, she really put herself out there for something she believed in. And I think, I think at the time it was really shocking and I think things came out in later years that a lot of people thought, a lot of people saw, I guess, that, you know, she... There was a lot of truth in what you are saying it has always been especially from my experience within my own family women didn't lead like didn't lead the story they they were very much in like child looking after the children or cleaning cleaning was a big big memory for me growing up my nan which i think is quite common in working class households my nan was absolutely crazy about cleaning so it was literally her whole life and her, her and her four children but she did everything she could really to just make sure everything was as perfect as possible all the time and that was yeah that would for me would have been like my biggest sort of memory of women and women within the house so Sinead O'Connor would have especially as well that would have been so Stacey's a few years younger than my dad she was massively ahead of her time to put herself out there like that and she wasn't incredibly incredibly vulnerable to do that and it, it wouldn't have been the same if it was a man it wouldn't have been received the same I still don't think it would be now it's, it's, we've obviously come we've come forward from that but I still think I still think women have to do more to prove themselves than men and whether that's a lot of that as well can come from um upbringing and you know women kind of the idea of sort of being the good girl and how your like place in society and I think we're really seeing people turn against that now and younger generations and young girls aren't you know it's not it's not the same but I think from Sinead O'Connor's time it would have been it would have been really shocking but her hair was another example of that you know everyone told her not to do it she was like I'm gonna do it anyway and really what what carried her was her like she had incredible talent and nobody could deny that. And I think that that was bigger really than any anything they tried to place on her. It was it always came back to she was incredibly talented and she could do something nobody else could do, which I think part of that as well came from her like from like extreme vulnerability, which she essentially gave to other people. It's like you, you give your own heartache and you give away your own experiences to other people as an artist and people you know use that for their own to help them get through whatever they were going through. But she she went through a lot of pain herself um, with like writing songs, performing to give that to people. She very much like she lived the experience. But, but yeah, she she it obviously was a very a controversial thing that she did, but everything she did she believed in and i think it would have been she would have had her very real reasons to do
0: that emma o'rourke there and if you want to hear more of what emma has to say why not listen to the rest of that july interview go to our website www.plasticpodcasts.com. click on the episodes page and look there she is near the top of our register of happy chatters Also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible, with a subtitled version, complete with examples of Emma's artwork, waiting for you on YouTube. But while you are at our website, www.plasticpodcasts.com, don't miss the chance to subscribe. Scroll down to the foot of our homepage, insert your email details in the box provided, and one confirmatory click later, yes! One confirmatory click later, the plastic loot to the world is yours, Orson, yours. And now we're back to John and Danielle with more of their story, or stories, because their lives have echoes of each other bouncing back and forth between the two. In particular, the way that he, surrounded by music and literature in his Dublin youth, and she, an early graduate of the Brit Music School, both moved away from art, only to come back to it, and each other. 90%
1: of the industry is business. You know, there's 10% of creativity and talent. Um, And I think you have to be built a certain way to continue in that life where you are constantly either disappointed or rejected or skint. And one of the conclusions that I made, I gave myself a little test. If I didn't get a certain thing or what I was going for, I was going to join the police. Um, And I did that. Um, and I built an amazing career for myself. It gave me independence. It gave me financial stability. It gave me everything I ever needed, and I always swore that if the time was right one day, I would go back to the music when the time was right, Um, and then when I was in Dubai and I was doing the music as a hobby, I wasn't financially dependent on it. I was able to create without the stress and the worry, Um, and I think the same for John. We had real jobs. We, we, you know, we we had to pay our bills. Um, we had to put our kids through school. So then, when we then when we were financially secure, for want of a better word, and we knew we could make it make it work, um, that that's when we turned our hand to theatre and music full time um, as a profession. You know, without without giving too much away, I don't know if from start to finish, if it's possible in the industry to stay with it for 45 years um, and make enough money to go and buy a house or have a nice car or have a nice life. I don't know. I've not met anybody yet. So um, like anyone that built a business or management, there's no shame in dipping in and dipping out. Um, so we dipped in and dipped out and we just happen to be dipping in right now.
0: <laughs> but this also brings us back around to, of course, being in particular, but also wild, which is that sense of reinventing yourself. In both of their cases, of course, is reinventing themselves in another country as well. They're they're kind of parallels there with the pair of you, yeah?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, once one person said to me, and I'm not going to mention the name from a very massive um, organisation, you know, Danny, you have to be really hungry. You have to be willing to, you know, sell your granny. You have to be hungry for this in your belly. And I said, I'm not hungry enough. My, You know, I don't have the fire in my belly. I'm not hungry enough to be that cutthroat I want morals and ethics and I walked away Um, and by meeting John I knew that he had so such an amazing business um, you know brain and and all of his career mixed with the music um, that I thought that actually we've got stuff to write about now 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 I'm hungry now I've got something to say I didn't really have anything to say in terms of songwriting when I was in my early 20s um, but now we've got stuff to say. Now now we've got a bit of life experience. Um, we can relate to things, people can relate to us, and now we both have a fire in our belly and, and we're hungry. We're not gonna sell our granny, um, and we're not gonna dance with the devil, but we're 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 definitely hungry.
2: Everyone's journey is not a straight line, and you you are faced with circumstances, you're faced with basic requirements. Um, you're trying to bring up a family, you're trying to do many, many things and you're trying to find um, the thing that makes you that makes you happy. And life teaches you many things and life takes you down um, many paths.
0: You two meet in Dubai, you have a band, you stop doing cover versions and start doing your own material and then at some point you decide that what you're going to do is theatre. <laughs> How does that happen?
1: That's my fault. We were happily going along our way, doing our band. We did loads of gigs in Brighton. We did a lot of radio live sessions in Brighton. um, And we were doing a live gig in Brighton one day, round about, I think it was round about Christmas time, but don't quote me. um, And a guy, an Irish guy, and a few of his friends in the um, Brighton community that was Irish, that was into theatre and music, come up and said, love what you're doing, uh, it's really great. They was on having an interview. Um, could we meet up for a coffee? Yeah, of course we could. So we finished our set, they finished their interview. We went for a coffee, great chat. Um, then he said he's a playwright, um, but he really enjoyed our music. And then their word was, do you think you could put some music to my plays?" And I was like, yeah. Of course we can. How? (laughs) How hard can it be? To which this point, John is like elbowing me and nudging me. Please don't agree to stuff. Please don't agree to stuff without thinking this through. And I'm like, John, it's not gonna be that hard, is it? We just swap some drums for some, you know, other bits and pieces. We swap the bass for, you know, a double bass. We swap the lead guitar for a violin, you know, and we just crack on. No, it was a lie. It was really the most difficult thing. Think we've ever, ever agreed to, or I've ever agreed to, and dragged John along. Is that about right John?
2: I think you're right. And But like what we did was, you know, Eddie Alford was um, was the, the playwright and he was a, a Dublin, um, Dublin man like myself. And we just got drawn into this whole uh, sort of uh, world of theatre and trying to tell the story and so on. And it's a very different art form you know, in, in, in a song you have three minutes, three and a half minutes to, to tell a story or to explore emotions or uh, make an impact on people. In a play, it's an hour, two hours, whatever. So we had to switch gears. But what we, what we did was, um, because the way we write our music is all about emotions. You know, every song we write, there's a reason or there's a connection to it or there's an emotion. And we took the same approach exploring um, theatre, and then you start to get into um, you get into the characters, and uh, like that, we because we didn't have formal training in theatre, I suppose we broke a lot of rules, um, we did things probably that shouldn't be done, and we're constantly being told that, and uh, and that only makes us more determined to try and say, well, look, let's see how far we can follow this, and some point you know, what we do doesn't work and fine, you 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 fail quickly and you move on. But in other ways, and we've worked with a lot of very interesting, you know, senior theatre people, uh, respected theatre people, and they've kind of jumped on board with us. And, you know, we have something a little bit different in the way that we uh, tell our stories through theatre. And uh, we research the characters um, and we, we want to... And we want to find emotions and we want to, you know, when we present a play or a a drama with music, we want to ask people, did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you start to ask questions? Did you find something new? You know, and if people start to say yes to those questions, uh, then we've done our job. And it doesn't matter if it's one person or 100 people or 500 people. If we've done it just for one person, then it's been worthwhile. And I think that's um, how we we have just continued uh, in theater because it's very rewarding um, to get that feedback from people in an audience. um, And you've you've shown them something or made them aware of something, be it a fact, an emotion or whatever, that they didn't know before. And you're, you're just presenting them something and then they can make up their own minds. And, and that's very rewarding, and, and, and that's why we keep doing it, really.
0: So what was the first play you guys wrote?
2: Well, we took a piece by Eddie Alford, uh, which was called Love in the Harbour. And uh, the story was basically about uh, two Irish uh, fighters in the RAF in World War One. And it turns out, in actual reality, They were two of the leading fighter aces in in the RAF during World War I. But because they were Irish, um, the people in the RAF really didn't accept them. And also, in the same way, because they fought with the RAF on behalf of the Empire, the people back home didn't accept them. And so this story of their journey... Uh, one of them ended up, uh, Mick Manoch ended up winning the Victoria Cross. And, and the other one, George McElroy, is probably the second or third most decorated fighter pilot in the RAF at that time. And so that was the first thing we we, we uh, collaborated with Eddie based on his book, on his play. And we did, uh, I think it was about 10 or 12 songs in that play. That was the first one. Um, and then we moved from there uh, into the one that we did completely ourselves, which was the, the, the piece we called Vengeance, which is about um, the life of Oscar Wilde, uh, in particular, starting from 1895, uh, when he had his infamous trial and what went on around those um, events. And that was completely um, just Danny and I uh, uh collaborating me main, mainly writing the book and Danny writing the music i think we did about 20 songs for that piece um and now here we are on um on the piece about Brendan Bean and there's more in the pipeline
0: you're listening to the plastic podcasts tales of the irish diaspora Email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com. As we reach the final section of our conversation, I realise there are so many questions I still need to ask my guests, John and Danielle, before they return to frantic rehearsal for Brendan, son of Dublin. Most pressing of these is, who or what is Fat Dan? Right. You want the true story or the official story? Yes.
1: So the official story is Fat Dan's a very, very cool name to have as a production the, the 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 real story is that when we was in Dubai takeaway food was very cheap to get del- well to get delivered and everything so we was constantly eating you know Domino's and McDonald's and whatever and our son at the time was I don't know about 12 and he said mum if you keep eating burgers like that you won't you'll be known as Fat Dad and I was like no I won't and then John went That's a great name, and he's very geeky and into technical things. He went, go on the, I don't know what you call it, the ether, and find that username, and we're going to register it. And I think John got it, and we didn't do anything with it for years and years and years. And then when we was asked, people was asking us about, you know, our music and about um the theatre, if you got a production company, we was like, well, yeah, we don't have a name or nothing. And then John was like, why don't we use Pat Dan? So that's pretty cool. So that's where it became Fat Damn Productions. Everyone's asked that question, you know. Um, everybody's asked that question.
0: <laughs> so you base, you base yourselves upon a 12-year-old's insult.
1: Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that 12-year-old, though, is their time with one of the biggest musicals going. So um, I'm going to keep taking his insults. <laughs> He's on to something.
0: <laughs> you talk about family and you talk about children and, and, and things like that. And obviously you've shifted around Hither and Yon and so forth. I was just wondering how, how important the notion of home was to you.
1: Home for me will always be, you know, where my family come from originally, you know, and and Sleevelemon and Tipperary are very special places for me. But home for me is where John and I are and where our children are and where their partners are and where our, you know, grandchildren are. So um, it doesn't matter where that is um but but home we we're, we're not home unless we're cooked a home meal they're all sitting around the table and we're sitting and breaking bread with them and 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 chatting with them about their day um that you know and and you know the world changes and and kids go off and they build their lives and they build their careers um but home for us is when John and I and our kids now not all together because it's not always possible but when we're there and we have, you know, even half of our kids are there, um, that that's home. Certainly, home for me anyway. I don't know about John, but that that's that's home for me. Anywhere John and the children are, that's home.
2: I well, I don't know if I can add any more. I I I, I suppose what I would say is it's a great question, and I've always um, uh, sort of wrestled with that question, and it was brought into, I suppose. Uh, Sharp relief, you you know, my my dear old dad passed away last year in in Dublin uh, in his 80s. And, you know, he was a huge influence on my life. And uh, he's the last, I have brothers and sisters there, but, you know, it it was another interesting time to think about what is home. Because the family house, uh, you know, was sold and we move on and it's the nice new family are there. and, And we're interested in that. And I I think it does come back to what Danny's saying is uh, home is a state of mind. um, And I I think, uh, you know, even if you're a a diaspora or you're living abroad or whatever, um, you can make a home, you can have your own little cocoon as long as you're lucky enough to be um, together. And um, I suppose that's the main thing about home And then the other thing about home is, you know, this connection, this Irishness, and 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 wrestling with that, um, the ebb and flow of of your connection with Ireland, um, and 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 exploring that, and it's it's not a static uh, thing, and and it's not uh, it's not always an easy thing um, to to um, to address. And I suppose it comes back to what you were saying earlier, Doug. That's why you identify with people in the same in the same boat. Um, you, you you know you 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 you're drawn to people who have the same emotions, the same uh, thought process. And I suppose as you get a bit older, you think about that a bit more, and maybe exploring it through the, our our music and our theatre is a way of you know just. Uh, trying to, to explore and it, you know, one of the things I say, I, I wrote in the play about um, uh, Brendan Bean, one of the things that made him interesting was not that he was necessarily looking for answers what was interesting about him he was asking the right questions and I think that's a connection I have uh, with him and I think Danny has as well is that when you're uh, you're looking at family and asking yourself what does family mean, I think what's interesting, a bit like Brendan, is to ask questions. What does that mean? and uh, and to try and find the answers to it. And it, it, you keep coming back to, uh, we may not know all the answers or ever find all the answers, but as long as you know Danny and I are together and our family are together, then at least we know we're headed roughly um, in
0: the right direction. So one of the things that, that strikes me is that, like uh, in, in the three plays that uh, that you you've both done together, your, your your central characters are away from home. They are away from where they've been born and where they've been raised. Um, and in the case of uh, both uh, Bean and Wild, they die away from their adoptive home. And I wonder if that's coincidence or there's there's something that calls to you about those kinds of stories.
2: Well, I, I I think it's a it's a massive uh, coincidence. And actually, uh, having having researched uh, Oscar Wilde's life and then researching Brendan Behan's life, you are just struck. It hits you like a train. The similarities in their life story, you know, the trajectory of their life, and then that leads on to another person that we really. Are very interested to explore his life, and that's the next piece of work we're we're working on. And this will end up being a kind of a trilogy. Is is the character of um, Phil Linnet, and or Philip Linnet to do it correctly, and um, uh, one he hated being called Phil, and the correct pronunciation is uh, Linnet, and um, he he is a very very similar character. Uh, he passed away when he was uh, 36, and uh, again left Ireland. Again, was an outsider. Uh, again, came to London to um, find his way um, and and build his art. And so there's there's huge threads through this, and it's so rich, and it's so relevant today, and it's so interesting because I think everybody can relate. To these people in terms of their journey in terms of what they were trying to do uh, etc and it kind of brought forward now into almost today or this year was the very sad passing away of Sinead O'Connor and um, where you know this was somebody who was in the same ilk in fact she's the same age as me and she You know, she had a very tortured, difficult life. And again, it's just this whole thing about how society treats people who are outsiders, how society um, treats these sensitive people. Um, And I think it's really important that we have these people because they make our lives richer and I think what's really important is that we protect them so that you don't have to die young um, just you know, as an artist. Think, you know, if we had had another 40 years of Brendan being, think what he might have added in terms of literature and works of art. And I, I think that's a very compelling thing about all these people's story is, is to say, look, some people are artistic, they are sensitive, they're asking difficult questions, they're exploring. Let's be a bit kinder to them um, and, and encourage them and in some way protect them because that's how
0: we're going to get the best out of them. That's that's my take on it. I've only got a couple more minutes left, so it's a couple of quick-fire questions. What was the song that you sang at the audition?
1: Um, Amy Winehouse. Um, uh, um, uh, Valerie
0: first song you played together as a band
1: Valerie we played
2: Valerie, Valerie
0: as a band. yeah <laughs> all right favorite uh, piece of Brenda Behan's writing
1: hostage
2: the hostage and and for me a short bit uhness uh, his poem about loneliness I gotta ask the same question of Oscar Wilde um uh, for me uh, uh the critic as an artist or the artist as a critic um
0: one of his essays I love it
1: the importance of Being Earnest.
0: Music first or lyrics first? Music. Music. Best song by Thin Lizzy?
1: Dancing in the Moonlight.
0: Because you've said that, I'll say another one. Southbound. That's a great song. You mentioned that Brendan Bean asked the right questions. I get one each from you. What are the right questions of today?
1: The right questions of today is before you do an action make sure you are asked the question of what the consequences are going to be
2: and my question would be why are we spending most time too much time
0: on social media on behalf of a podcast I'm not sure I'd like to thank you for that Um, (laughs) and finally what does being a member of the Irish diaspora in Britain mean to you
1: to me it means we're keeping what's gone before alive you mean we're keeping all of the people that sacrificed and worked hard to bring culture and art and everything to do with what's gone before and it's so vital that we keep doing that and and we teach our kids and our grandchildren and we keep that going um and because it's important it's yeah it's 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 it's, it's an non- it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just vital.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Uh, and tying it back to Brendan being, you know, he's a great, great, important literary figure. And uh, our passion around this project is to get him on the map uh, for people to know about and celebrate his work and tell his story.
0: You've been listening to The Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney, and my guests, John Merrigan and Danielle Morgan, a.k.a. Fat Dan Productions. The Plastic pedestal was provided by Emma O'Rourke and music by Jack Devaney. Find us on Facebook, X, Instagram or threads. Email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com or simply come visit us on our website, www.plasticpodcasts.com. The Plastic Podcasts are a proud member of Irish in Britain. Very good studio, very good. Stand down now and time for extra surprise. I'll be the one to change him from Brendan, son of Dublin. Five, four, three.
3: As long as I heard that sound, I knew we were safe happy days before the fame. I knew he wasn't going to be an easy man to control but I always thought i will be the one to change him.